This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Focus Leader One Day Intensive. Focus your achievement with clear goals and smarter productivity. Find out more at lead2.win slash focused leader. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. Today, we're going to tackle a problem that lots of leaders face and most of us try to avoid conflict. It's really true. This is so hard and it can feel like there's always some kind of conflict that's just simmering under the surface at work and home. And the truth is, if we're honest, most of us don't feel like we're any good at handling it, right? No, and that's why we avoid it. Right. Um, And then when we do face it, it's almost like there's nothing we can do to get past our own instinct to be defensive, which just sets off a whole chain of events and it goes from bad to worse I almost feel like we sometimes go on automatic pilot. You know, we've had these patterns for years and probably generations, if we look back at it, on how we handle conflict. Yeah. And my wife and I were talking today about this very thing about a couple that we know and just about how they handle conflict in their family. And right in front of mom, they were going through this major conflict, but with no seeming self-awareness about how they were responding to each other. Hmm. And, you know, it's it's hard to perceive in yourself, but when you see it from the inside out, it can often be ugly, unproductive, and damaging. Yeah. Well, it really kind of hits that limbic part of our brain, the kind of primitive fight, flight, or freeze part of our brain. And we find our fears come out, our insecurities, and it's just a mess. Well, today we're going to solve these problems and more, I'm sure. (laughs) But with a simple technique for responding to conflict, it's going to be a total game changer for you guys, I'm convinced. But we got to bring Larry on because Larry guides us through these conversations. Without Larry, we couldn't even talk to each other. No, that's right. (laughs) Thank you, Larry, for being a mediator. You're welcome. I'd I'd like to say two things. First, a couple weeks ago, you said, because Larry's the man, and I liked that. Yeah. So let's. You know, also, I, Larry I may, is the man. I may start to put that into the script. <laughs> I, I think you should. <laughs> and and uh, second, I don't want to start a fight or anything here, but um, are you guys conflict avoiders or conflict seekers? It seems like mm. everybody goes totally one avoidant. way or the other. I'm totally avoidant. I'm kind of in the middle. I wouldn't say I'm a conflict seeker, but I would say that the biggest personal and professional mistakes that I've made can be directly traced to my uh, desire to avoid conflict. And so over the years, I've really tried to push myself to lean into conflict or difficult conversations, probably is a better way to say it, um, because I know when I avoid them, it just gets worse. Well, I think the reason I'm avoidant is because I used to be a conflict seeker. Really? Yeah. So like early in my career, I would lean into conflict. In fact, I'll tell you a story in just a minute. And it just didn't serve me well. It never resulted in what I intended. And so I backed way off. Kind of swung the other direction. Yeah, exactly. So now I've had to come back toward the middle. But years ago, this is probably 30 years ago, I was in business with a partner. And we got a letter from a client, a one-page letter, where he fired us. And basically, he accused my partner of some things, nothing unethical, but just some you know, dropping the ball and so forth. And none of it was really true, or very little of it was very true. So I said to my partner, I said, look, it's going to be much easier for me to defend you than you defend you. So I'm going to take the mantle on, and I'm going to defend (laughs) you. And by the way, to this day, this is true. Like, you can mess with me, and I have a high tolerance. Like, I won't defend myself. It takes a lot. Eventually, I will. But you start messing with my peeps, I go nuts. (laughs) So, So this guy had accused my partner unjustly. 
So I literally spent the next several days writing a 14-page tour de force, total takedown, and I mean, it was impeccable, irrefutable. There was no way that this guy could have possibly done anything but repent when he got this letter <laughs> and read it. What could possibly go wrong? Exactly. I was so full of myself. So I send this letter by FedEx. So these were the early days of FedEx. That was a big deal to have to send something FedEx. So I thought that will get his attention all by itself. <laughs> so one day passes. I don't get a response from the client. I'm thinking, okay. So a couple more days pass. And I finally said to my assistant, I said, call his office and make sure that FedEx delivered it. Sure there was enough. no online tracking at this point. No online tracking at this point. <laughs> there was no online at this point. So <laughs> sure, sure enough, he got the FedEx. No response. Weeks passed. Months passed. Six months passed. Never heard from the guy. Never heard from the guy. So all that energy was a total waste. So I'm thinking to myself, conflict can lead to a lot of damaging results. And even at its best, you know, it's a huge waste of time. So, so like you said, the pendulum swung the total opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And so for years, I just thought, you know, I'm just going to let it go. But that's not productive either. No. So really that's, that's what we got to talk about, a more productive approach in this episode. Agreed. Well, I think it kind of starts with this idea of holding space. What? You know, like, okay, this would be the opposite of what you did in your story. You really just filled up the space with 14 pages of your manifesto. Oh, my gosh. But the idea of holding space is kind of deciding on the front end when someone comes to you with an issue that you're going to take a position of not resisting what they're saying, that the yes. purpose of your role in the conversation is to kind of just be a container for what they want to say, to not react, to not be defensive, to not try to explain, to not do that thing that we all do where someone's talking and we're formulating our uh, rebuttal in our head while they're talking to the point that it's almost like we can't even listen. You know, so holding space is just trying your very best to stay in a neutral place. It helps if you breathe while you're doing this. Keep your face neutral, keep your body neutral, and, and just like let them have the floor until they're finished. I'll tell you why this is important. People have a desperate need to be heard. Mm -hmm. And when people feel heard, it automatically diffuses the conflict and it solves a lot of conflict. So again, over the holidays, you know, we're at the time we're recording this, we've just come through the Christmas holidays. And Gail and I had a conflict over something that happened. And I was very irritated, which is basically a euphemism for saying I was ticked off, right? Mm -hmm. So I was I was ticked off about this thing. And so I began to just share with her with a lot of emotion why I was frustrated by the situation. Here was the cool thing. She held the space for me. She didn't defend herself. She just listened. She was empathetic. She repeated to me what I said so that, that I knew that she caught it. And that was kind of it. Well, we're saying that every leader can get better at dealing with conflict by mastering these steps to holding space. And I think we should probably say it's going to apply in a lot more than just a business context. This is really about relationships at home or anywhere that you happen to be in relationship. We've got five steps to holding space during a difficult conversation and to make it easier for you to remember that these five steps form an acronym for the word space. So let's get to step one, S, 
is for stop. Yeah, so when someone confronts us, it's very natural to react, right? I mean, it's just stimulus response. We might blame that person. We might become defensive. We may even attack them, you know, get into attack mode. I've certainly done that in the past myself. Or we might just get passive, shut down. We're not really listening. We get all up in our head and we're all, you know, thinking about ourselves instead of thinking about the conversation. We might even withdraw physically. So some people, it's like, I can't handle it. I got to go away. I can't hear this. None of those are productive. It doesn't resolve the conflict, and it makes either you or the other person feel terrible. In fact, oftentimes what happens is when you react, when you defend yourself, whatever, what do they do? They intensify. They got to ramp it up to get your attention because you're they're not being heard. And again, that's not going to be productive. So aggression, passive aggression, both unhealthy. I think the alternative is to push pause. And this is like a learned response because it's not our natural response. I mean, this is something you really have to cultivate, which is why I love that we're providing steps today because this idea of holding space does not come naturally to most of us unless you just had the perfect family and probably a lot of therapy. So I love this um, quote from Stephen Covey from First Things First. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So really, we can just stop for a minute and do nothing. You know, we don't actually have to react immediately. And as I was saying at the beginning, it's so helpful if you take a breath. Just breathing will calm you down and slow you down long enough that you have that, you know, half a second to choose something different than the natural reaction that you're hardwired biologically to have. So resist the urge to interrupt. You know, that's the first way you're going to go wrong is you're going to start by interrupting like, well, but that's not what I really meant or but that's not how I think it happened or you're wrong. That's always a winner. (laughs) That usually goes well. The other thing that I've learned, I've actually learned this more in business than anywhere else, but we have to be so careful not to let our mind and our emotions hijack our facial expressions because you can be sort of having this conversation in your head about, you know, I need to be breathing, try not to be biased, just listen. But if your face looks angry, it's easy to forget that so much of our communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And when our face betrays our emotions, it creates um, a sense of uh, not being safe, of defensiveness in the other person. And all of a sudden, even if you're you're like white knuckling it through this holding space thing, your your face can give you away. So that's where the breathing is really helpful. I mean, I will say sometimes if I have to have like a difficult HR conversation, confront someone on something, I will say, or somebody comes and talks to me, I will say, relax your face, relax your face, relax your face. Like in my in my mental dialogue. Um, that's happening. And it's so, it's so helpful. So but that takes um, a huge amount of self-awareness. You really have to self-talk yourself through this and then just listen. Don't watch the clock. Don't wait for your opportunity to interrupt. Just shut up and wait. I want to go back to this uh, self-awareness. If there's one upside of Instagram and selfies, <laughs> <laughs> it's being more aware of our facial expressions, right? Because yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've done like an Insta story and I've you know reviewed it before I post it. I go, why was I smiling? Right. I mean, I kind of looked either bored or angry. Right. And that wasn't my heart. It's just that I had a lack of self-awareness. Maybe you were concentrating or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But people really take their cues from our nonverbals. You know, this 
holding space, this pause or stop, the first step, really produces some benefits in the conversation. I, I think first, it gives the other person a feeling of safety, mm-hmm. right? you know, that they're not going to get trampled on. So that's especially true, like you mentioned, HR issues, mm-hmm. Megan, where there's a power differential. Absolutely. You have a boss, an employee, or a teacher and a student, or some other relationship it really lets the person know they're free to speak their mind Mm -hmm. and they're not going to be punished for that. I think it also puts you in a position to learn. You know, they they may actually have a point that (laughs) that happens occasionally. I I would say, yeah, I know you're being kind of facetious, but there's always something to learn because their perception, there's some grain of truth. And I, I learned years ago that, you know, even if the other person is only 10% right, take that 10% to heart and try to improve and forget the 90%. You know, this is this is not something where we're playing a game where whoever wins by the most percentage points, you know, wins some prize. But what you win is by listening carefully and taking to heart the part of it that's true and discarding the rest. And the more defensive you feel, is often an indicator of how true what the other person is bringing to you. Hello. I wish that was not true. I know. You know, but personally, speaking for myself, I feel the most defensive, and this is the hardest work, when somebody's bringing something to me where I know I really screwed up and I really don't want to have screwed up. I mean, I'm having to have that reckoning in real time of, usually it's something I didn't know that I did, you know, like, uh, a couple months ago, one of my direct reports brought something to me and shared a way that I had really unintentionally undermined him. Mm. And it was totally unintentional. You know, my motivations were good, but I really screwed up. And my first instinct was to defend myself, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I it wasn't my intention. But as I tell my kids all the time, nobody cares about your intention. They care about what you actually communicated. You know, what you intended to communicate does not matter. Well, there's a teeny little lawyer that lives inside every one of our heads mm-hmm. and is always ready to argue. And the first step in holding space is to stop. I'm reminded of the old uh, saying, nothing is often the right thing to do and always a clever thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I like that. Well, let's go to step two in holding space, which is P for probe. Stop and probe. This is really important because when the person finishes talking, you know, they've they've probably marshaled all their bravery. They've shared the vulnerable thing. Now it's our turn to respond. And this is the moment of truth where what you do next will be determinative, not just of the conversation, but in, in many cases, the relationship itself. I think you have to communicate that if you were a catcher in a, on a baseball team that you've caught the ball, when they've said what they're going to say, you you should really, you know, maybe count to five, you know, and just kind of like connect with it emotionally and let them know that you've heard them and then respond. Like if you're too fast to respond, then what it communicates is, I actually wasn't really listening to you. I was just waiting for you to finish so I could right. give my pre-prepared speech that I've been thinking about the whole time <laughs> you were talking. 
Well, and this is where you can do a couple things. You can use reflective listening. You know, you mm-hmm. can kind of repeat back in your own words, and it's important that you don't do this as a parrot because that's not affirming. You know, you don't want to literally say what they've said. But if you if you repeat back in your own words the way you've understood what they've said and then ask, yes. you know, is there anything else? Did I leave anything out? Did I get anything wrong? You know, is there anything you want to correct? That can be really helpful. But then your goal ought to be – in kind of this context to understand their perspective, because the more you understand, the better you can ultimately, you know, resolve the situation. And so you can use questions to probe and to try to get at, you know, well, tell me more about that. Why was that so problematic for you? And, and when you do that, first of all, it communicates that you really care. It also um, enables you to get more clarity about what the issue behind the issue is, because so often there's something behind it. It wasn't just that you said or did that thing. It was what it meant to them, or it was connected to something else from the past. And the more you understand that, you know, if they say something like, well, I always felt like, you know, in these other times you did the same thing. Well, then you're like, oh, shoot, I have this pattern that they perceive of whatever it is. And that can be so helpful. But so often we use questions and probing as a way to, to, we really weaponize those things. You know, yes. it's really, it's not, yeah, it's not really a question. It's a statement with a question mark at the end of it that is intended to shut them down or undermine their position. Yeah, it's not like helpful. say, what were you thinking? Or, you know, don't you know me better than that? You know, how could you jump to that conclusion? You know, that kind of thing is going to uh, not communicate what we're talking about in probing because you're really not after more information. You're basically making an accusation disguised as a question. Mm-hmm. It's really an attempt to control the situation. It is. It moves away from the listening posture. Yeah. And you're you're really trying to make sure that they've gotten everything out because my guess is in most of those situations, people are not saying everything. They're kind of trying to modulate and hold back some because they're- Because it's risky. It's risky. And they're maybe more conscious of your feelings or concerned about your feelings than maybe you are of theirs, but they're holding back. So I think it's important to just get it all out there. Mm -hmm. You know, people need to get it all out there. You need to have them get it all out there because if they don't, they're not going to feel like, like they were heard. Right. And you don't want anything left unsaid. So some open-ended questions that could be helpful are things like, can you say more about that? You know, and then you just, again, pause, be quiet and wait. Or how did it make you feel when fill in the blank? Yeah. Or would you help me understand what happened when fill in the blank? And these questions are really coming from a place of a desire to understand. And it's important, again, that you manage your tone of voice, that you're breathing, that your facial expressions are soft and not hard, and that you don't react negatively when they answer, even with your face. You know, these because you're trying to encourage vulnerability. And the most important thing to do when you're trying to get someone to be vulnerable is to create a safe space. Yes. And so if you look threatening or you sound threatening, it's going to shut that down. Well, this takes a lot of uh, grace to do because it actually puts you in a vulnerable position. Totally. Vulnerable position. Uh, you go from saying, please tell me more about how great I am to, yeah, I, I really screwed up. Tell me more about that. Right. <laughs> That's hard to hear. Right. It's humbling. Hey, everybody. Mike Boyer here. I bet you know someone who could benefit from this topic. Everybody hates conflict. So why not drop a link to this episode in your favorite social media channel and tag your people? They'll thank you for it. Include the hashtag lead to win. Also, if you have not yet reviewed lead to win on iTunes, would you take a minute and do that right now? You can just tap the review button on your device or head over to lead to dot win. 
and check today's show notes. There's a handy tutorial on the rate program. Thank you. So stop, probe, and step three, A is for acknowledge. Stop, probe, acknowledge. Acknowledge what? Well, I think we have to go back to something we said just a moment ago, and that is to recognize the fact that it's really difficult to share hard things. When somebody comes to you to confront you with a conflict, with something that you've done to offend them or to hurt them or whatever, that takes a great degree of of courage. And I know when I've been in those situations, I mean, those are like, I can't sleep the night before. Right. Right. You know, it may have taken me several days to screw up the courage. I may have had to have a really hard talk with my therapist to encourage me to do it. I mean, who knows what was in the background mm-hmm. that, that preceded that. And I think it's important that we recognize that and we uh, honor it. But we've got to begin this process or continue this process of healing by acknowledging that difficulty and affirming the other person. There's huge healing power in doing that. Treat that person like they've shared a gift. As hard as it was for them uh, to share it and as difficult as it was for you to probably hear it, it's one of the best things you could ever hear. Because if you think about the times when you've really grown, when you've really improved, it's not usually when somebody gives you an attaboy or an girl. You know, it's not the praise, but it's the criticism where in a blinding moment of self-awareness or self-reflection, you go, wow, this is a gift. Because if they hadn't pointed this out, no telling how much damage I would have done in other people's lives who didn't have the courage. And if this person didn't have the courage to step up to the plate and confront me with this, what would happen in the other relationships that I'm you know, party to? So I think it's important to acknowledge them by saying something like, you know, thank you so much for sharing this with me, Megan. Um, I know it probably wasn't easy to come to me, but I'm grateful that you did. And I honestly consider it a gift. This is even more important if you're a leader. Yes. You know, certainly this applies in every context, personal or professional. However, if you're a leader, one of the biggest dangers is that you're going to be insulated from the truth. You know, people feel like Mm -hmm. it's too risky. They're not going to share the places where you make mistakes or you're really in your own way. And they increasingly tell you what you want to hear. And so your access to the truth is dramatically diminished, you know, more and more all the time. And so if you want to build a culture where you're getting good two-way communication, where you know if you have problems in your organization, you know if you have problems in your leadership that are going to cost you and your team, you know, time, money, uh, all kinds of things, you know, then you have to build a culture that creates freedom for people to share hard things with you. And if you don't intentionally acknowledge it, and this is more than just not being defensive, like you said, it's literally out loud thanking people. Thank you for coming to me. Mm -hmm. I want you to know that you can always do this. I will not react negatively. I'm committed to that. You know, that's one of the things that I've intentionally tried to do in my own leadership as I (laughs) make more mistakes and these things happen frequently is to try to, to affirm that. And it's, it's always unnatural because the truth is I'm like, oh, that was painful. But I also know that if I'm not willing to acknowledge it and and really thank them for it and make it feel safe to come back and do it again and make it basically a positive experience, I'm not going to get the information I need to continue to grow as a leader. And that's going to be terrible. You know, there's an interesting dynamic here, too, is that you can really only do that if you acknowledge that you do have some power in the relationship. That right. Otherwise, you're just a sitting duck getting chewed up. Mm-hmm. But when you can say, 
wow, thank you for bringing that to me. It acknowledges I can do something with that. Mm -hmm. I can respond to that. I still have some agency, and I'm not getting called into the principal's office and just Mm -hmm. getting yelled at. That's a good insight. And I'm not a victim. Yeah. I remember hearing from a parenting expert years ago that she was talking about the need to kind of share power with your kids to allow them to make choices, you know, where maybe you could make the choices, but you kind of let them make some of those choices. And she was just saying a lot of parents don't want to give up control because they feel like they're losing power. But the truth is the only way you can share power is if you had power to begin with. And so when you kind of like act with humility and you kind of cede some of your power in this moment, it's really in a funny way, it's affirming your position of authority, not undermining it. And I think that's important for people who feel uncomfortable with this. It's important to, sit, to to recognize this as the gift it is. But I think there's another part of this when we're stopping to acknowledge uh, that we've got to continue with. We've got to repeat back to the person what they heard mm-hmm. so that they know that we've received it. What you heard. That's right. As a listener. That's what I meant. So say something like, let me repeat to you what I heard. And then to just in humility, ask the question, did I get it right? You know, and give them a chance to add anything to it. You know, did I miss anything? And by the way, don't be surprised if you did. Mm -hmm. There may be more to come. You may have to go through a few iterations of this. That's fine. Because again, you want it all out. Well, A, for acknowledge, and this acknowledgement that the person has done you a service by bringing this problem to your attention and sharing with you, it puts you on common ground. You both understand at least what their perception of the problem is. So S, stop. P, probe. A, acknowledge. That brings us to the fourth step, which is C, confess. This is a tough one. This is where the rubber meets the road. Um, Whether you're a spouse or a friend or a leader or a parent, this is the part where you have to acknowledge and, you know, affirm, really confess what it is that you've done that was wrong. And this is like really unpopular in our culture. You know, we're, we've kind of like gotten out of the habit of being able to admit when we're wrong. And the more of a power differential there, as you said earlier in our conversation that there is, the more difficult this can be. But if you don't do this step, you will not get resolution. There is a wonderful book, Dad, that you and I read years ago called Extreme Ownership mm-hmm. by Jocko Willink, all about taking ownership of your mistakes and the results that happen, particularly in your business. You know, it's kind of through the lens of a Navy SEAL. Um, at one of our core values at Michael Hyden Company is total ownership, that we believe that as individuals, it's our job to take total ownership for the outcomes that we create yeah. in our business and our personal lives. And that means being willing to say, I am so sorry that I did and fill in the blank, you know, that this is kind of where you've just repeated back what they understand to be the problem. This is where you own your contribution to that. And it does not help you to diminish it or to make it smaller or to try to save face that will only hurt you. This is like, this is the moment where you either build or undermine trust in the relationship. And, you know, one insight I got on this uh, word confess was frankly from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And the Greek word from which we get the English word confess means literally the same word. You know, that's the transliteration. So to say the same word as somebody else, to agree with them. And again, maybe we disagree with 90% of it. This is not the time to correct their impression. 
or to say, oh, well, you totally misunderstood me or whatever. No, it's to agree with those things that we can agree with and to literally ask forgiveness. And it might sound like this, you know, Megan, I'm so sorry that I did. And then literally state it. I'm so sorry I did this. And again, I think it's important to use the same words in, in as much as you can, use the same words they use so mm-hmm. that they feel like you're confessing to the actual thing that they're yeah. charging you. Don't with. pick like a lesser word. Right. You know? Um, well, I'm sorry I made that mistake when it was a flat out violation of the of, of boundary. Right. Um, I also think I do this with my kids a lot. You know, when they're asking each other forgiveness, I always want them to state this. And then I want them to state with empathy how they know it made the other person feel that they've communicated. You know, I know that yes. when I, when my kids might say this, you know, I know when I told you you were stupid and you were bad at soccer, that that made you feel ashamed, you know, or that made you feel like you weren't a good athlete. And that's not a good feeling because I really want them to communicate empathy. I think this completely applies to adults, you know, that we need to communicate that we understand the impact of our actions, not that we, not just that we uh, understand what we did. It's really, really important. You know, so many leaders are unwilling to do that because they think it weakens them. Right. I think really it makes you stronger. Totally. So often people just, they just want that acknowledgement. Now, I think we need to talk about non-apology apologies. Hmm. <laughs> This because is where you can go wrong. This is where you can go wrong, and this happens all the time. People think they're confessing. They think they're asking forgiveness, but here's what it sounds like. You say something like, I'm sorry if what I said upset you. I mean, can I be honest? When someone says this to me, I want to punch them in the face. Now, to be fair, I have never punched anyone in the face. But, I but have, you felt like it. But I have felt like it. I hear you. And this I feel is you. so condescending and so avoidant, it's literally maddening. Well, and you can't make it about them. Right. So stick to what you could admit or agree to. What was your part in it? Here's here's a couple of the versions of that that same thing. I'm sorry if you misunderstood me because you're such a moron. Right. <laughs> you know? I was going to say that the problem with saying, I'm sorry if I what I said upset you, it's basically saying... Obviously, you have a problem. <laughs> right. There's something wrong with you, and I'm so sorry that there's something wrong with you. That is Ugh. the antithesis of what we're trying to do here. Okay, here's another one. I'm sorry if you misinterpreted my actions. I mean, again, but I, I hope people that are listening to this, this is ringing in their ears next time they're tempted to say right. this. Here's another one. I'm sorry you feel that way. These are fake apologies. Right. They're worthless. You might as well not even... Do it. It's actually worse than not apologizing. It is. It's going to set you back. And by the way, it will tick off the other person. It will you might destroy trust. Face. You might even get punched in the face. <laughs> Don't try it with us. That's, That's all right. I'm saying. Well, the benefit of confession or acknowledging or agreeing with what the other person has said that is true is that it diffuses that anger and it puts you in a place where some sort of progress or reconciliation is possible. Yeah, it's, it's true. But I, w- I want to hasten to say, though, Larry, this is not for the purpose of, because it could sound like manipulation. You know, I'm just going to try to say this, too, because I learned this technique on this podcast that I can diffuse conflict if I give this confession, even if I don't feel it. You know, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a heartfelt acknowledgement and confession. And so I, th- I think it's important to acknowledge what your words or your actions did But then to go one step further, and this is going to be hard. This is one of the most difficult parts of this, but to literally ask for forgiveness. You know, Megan, I'm so sorry I did that. I'm sure that must have hurt you. Would you please forgive me? And then pause. 
wait for a response. Now, I can tell you that there have been situations I've been in where the other person has said, I'm not sure. I need some time. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only happened maybe twice in my career, but you can't force it. First of all, you can't demand it. You know, forgiveness is something that can be freely given or has to be freely given. You can ask for it, but if they won't give it readily, you just say, you know, hey, that's fair. Take all the time you need. But what it does give is the other person an opportunity to release you. And that's that's what forgiveness means, to release that other person from whatever consequences of what they've done are. And so to say, yes, I do forgive you. So again, it, it does help diffuse the anger, as you were saying, Larry, but that's, that's not the primary reason we're doing it. We're doing it because it's the right thing to do in the moment. So let's review the steps we've learned so far. Step one, stop. Step two, probe. Step three, acknowledge. Step four, confess. And that brings us to the fifth and final step in holding space. Step five, E, for explain. This is really important. Okay, so we told you not to be defensive at the beginning. And that you really have to avoid that. And and we have gone through four steps that have nothing to do with you explaining anything. <laughs> it's really not about you at all. However, it is sometimes important to clear up misunderstandings because sometimes people really have a legitimate misunderstanding. Maybe they thought they heard something one way or they interpreted your actions as meaning one thing, but it was literally the opposite. And you know that their unfortunate misunderstanding is hurting them. And so this is your opportunity to kind of correct uh, those things, but you have to do it without sounding defensive, without blaming. This is not about making yourself right. This is really just about providing clarity. Um, It, could also be best to wait till later, depending on how heated the conversation is. You may need to come back and do this later. However, sometimes it really does eliminate the hurt when you realize what happened. Like, for example, maybe you uh, missed a meeting with someone that was really, really important. And it was actually your executive assistant had uh, the time zone wrong, or he or she just you know, for didn't see the email with the new schedule and didn't get it on the calendar, you weren't standing them up, you know, it wasn't because you don't think the relationship was important. Like it was a legitimate, just, you know, logistical dropping of the ball that actually didn't mean anything. But from their perspective, it felt like a a statement about the relationship. That's important for them to know. Um, So if you decide that you want to correct a misunderstanding, here's how it's helpful to start. Say something like, Would you mind if I share a little bit from my perspective, not as an excuse? That's right. Just stop there. Not as an excuse. I fully own what I said or did and how that negatively impacted you. And you can kind of restate what you've already said at that point. But just by way of explanation, because I think this could be helpful for you as you kind of process the situation. And so then you want to ask for permission. You know, is it okay if I share this? It's their meeting. It's their meeting. And then you just, again, shut up. If you see a theme through this, all these steps, it's, you know, sometimes you say something and then you shut up. But there's a lot of pausing and waiting. And wait for their permission. Yeah. This has got to be consensual. And you need to be careful about, you know, what you say, because they may not be ready to hear what you have to say. You have to use, you know, wisdom in this situation. And this could be lengthy, but they may 
never agree with your version of the story. I mean, so that's the the point is not to kind of re-up the argument about what happened in this situation. But like I said, there are so many situations where people interpret or um, ascribe meaning to something that was really completely something else that it can be helpful to understand. Or maybe, you know, I think about like my own kids, you know, I, I haven't yet had the part where my adult kids come and tell me things that they've, you know, discovered or Just conclusions wait. they've gone, they've come to in therapy, but I have five kids and I know it'll happen. Um, you know, that that's a great opportunity to say after you own everything, I think, let me just tell you what was happening in our life at that point. You know, this is not an excuse, but you know, there was this other thing that as a kid you were totally unaware of that was behind the scenes. Um, and that can be so helpful. And I think, you know, whether that's in your business or your marriage or your relationship with your kids, there's always something else going on. And if you say it in a way that's humble, it can really give color and context, kind of that example of adult children, as children become adults, I mean, I've had this experience myself, becoming a parent is super humbling, right? I mean, you, you realize, oh, my gosh, I'm just trying to like figure this out in real time, in a super intense season, and I know I'm making mistakes, but I don't want to, you know, right? Right. And so you all of a sudden have empathy for your parents that you didn't have because you know how hard it is. That's the part I love. Yeah. <laughs> but, but seriously, you know, a lot of times there are extenuating circumstances. You know, it really wasn't because we were malicious or we were trying to hurt that other person, but maybe we were preoccupied, maybe something else bad had happened in our life. You know, it's kind of the old thing where people say, you know, that my boss chewed me out, but... What I didn't know was he the dog bit him before he, you know, showed up to the meeting or something. Right. You know, there was right. something that right. that led to that. Now, and again, it doesn't excuse any behavior, but it it helps you kind of to see. I think if you're the person that was offended, that it really wasn't as malicious or it wasn't really about you, mm-hmm. like maybe you thought. And it might be a little bit easier for you to process and extend forgiveness. Well, it's almost always not about you. You know, what people do and how they react negatively is usually about something else that's going on. So this is really your opportunity to explain that. So hopefully the negative consequences are depersonalized a little bit for the other person. Well, you raised an important point too, Megan, saying that they may not accept your explanation. And Michael, you said they may not grant forgiveness when you ask for it. Big word that we've been using here is control. And this whole process is kind of recognizing that you don't have much in yeah. this situation because you can't control what another person thinks, feels, or does. But you can always do the right thing and you can always hold space for that other person. Well, today we've learned that every leader can get better at dealing with conflict by mastering these five steps to holding space, and they form an acronym for that word, space. Stop, probe, acknowledge, confess, and explain. Any final thoughts for our listeners today? Well, conflict is unavoidable. You know, if you have important relationships in your life, especially if you're a leader, the more important relationships you have, the more authority you have, the more likely you are to have conflict, the more mistakes you're likely to make. So my uh, advice would be to make friends with conflict. Don't avoid it. Don't run at it, you know, like um, you're in battle, but just embrace it as a very powerful teacher because some of your best lessons will come on the other side of conflict. The thing I would say is if you've not been good at this in the past, fear not. You will have plenty more opportunities <laughs> in the future to get it right. And and this is a journey. You know, this is not something you're going to hear a podcast and suddenly you're going to be brilliant at this. You know, it's something that I continue to grow in and continue to blow, you know, from time to time. And I just have to keep reminding me myself 
of this space acronym. And it always begins, if I can do the first step right, if I can just stop, take a deep breath and not react, the rest of it will usually go pretty well. But if I don't get that right, then bad things happen. Good insights here today. This is something I know I can use in my life, and I think a lot of our listeners are going to benefit from it in a big way. Thanks, Larry. Thank you, Megan. And thank you guys for listening to us today. We'll be right here next week. Until then, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Focus Leader One Day Intensive. Focus your achievement with clear goals and smarter productivity. Find out more at lead2.win slash focused leader.